Ringer FC is your podcast home for all things soccer on The Ringer. Join us on Monday and Thursday for Stadio, hosted by Ryan Hunt and Musa Akwanga, as they cover the major European football leagues and a lot more. On Wednesday, Arsenal legend and former England international Ian Wright hosts Wrighty's House, discussing the latest in European football with a rotation of special guests. Check out Ringer FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Basketball is very good. Welcome to Ringer NBA University. I'm Kevin O'Connor, and here today is the Ringer's Jay Kyle. Man, what's going on today, Kyle? Not too much, Kev. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well this morning. It's been a, a busy week. That's a good thing. You know, I, I got some stuff I'm working on that I'm excited about. We were on Bill's pod yesterday. That was a good time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I enjoy I enjoy going on Bill's pod and, and just uh, hearing his perspective on things and especially enjoyed um, it, it was right in our wheelhouse. I felt like that conversation was it was just fun to, to fun to talk about a really great player and a really special, you know, historically special season that he's having. Nikola Jokic. We talked about Nikola Jokic, touched on Michael Porter Jr., who we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, we do have to say, last week on Group Chat, um, on the Ringer NBA show, you may have heard the guys discuss that our friend and colleague, Jonathan Charks, was diagnosed with cancer. And um, that's why he's been absent from pods in recent weeks. Charks announced it on Twitter last week. And on there, you can find a link to his blog, which his wife, Melissa, is using to share updates at caringbridge.org. Um, it's really sad news. Charks is a friend of ours. I've known him since before the Ringer launched. Uh, I think maybe since 2014, 2015, I've known him. He's been a friend. He's a friend of you and I, Kyle. And um, well, we miss podcasting with him and sending our best to John and his family. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've known, I mean, I've worked with Charks for two years-ish now for a while, but talked to him for a long time. Like, <laughs> Charks mm -hmm. is one of those people that, like... um. And I never forgot this either that like, you know, in, in my time, like doing work with the NBA and stuff, too, is that like even before I, I was like working at like an advertising agency, like Charks and I would email about basketball and things like that. So, you know, just a great guy. And what I would say is just, um, you know, one of the more focused and positive people that I know. And I think that we should, you know, just mirror that focus and positivity, sending it his way. Uh, for him to, you know, to f fight and just battle this. And I, I know that he will. And I'm I'm hopeful and, you know, just praying and thinking about his family. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Charks is one of the nicest dudes I know. His wife, Melissa, met her when she came out to L.A. with Charks a couple of years ago. Great, great human being and their beautiful son, Jackson. Um, just sending all the best to them and uh, hopefully get Charks on here sometime. Talk basketball. I miss it, man. I miss talking uh, basketball with you, Charks, but um, sending you all the best, man. Uh, one thing I would tag on the end of that was Verrier said uh, that that low down rotten scoundrel Justin Verrier said uh, he, that he <laughs> the Sharks could convince them to talk about the six man on the Orlando Magic. <laughs> I just want to say right now, I felt like that was a shot at us, but you don't have to convince us, Sharks. We obviously would love to talk. To There's no convincing. Come on and let's do it. We miss you, buddy. We might be talking about some six men today, uh, Kyle, but we are going to start off with some big stuff that happened in last night's game on Tuesday. One night after losing by 15 points, the Pelicans got a huge win, Kyle, over the Warriors. They won by five. They needed this one badly because now they only trail the Spurs by two games for the 10 seed, the final spot in the play-in tournament. Pelicans have six games left. The Spurs have eight. But that's eight games and 12 days to close the season. Um, Spurs have lost four in a row now. And both of those teams have really, really difficult schedules down the, down the stretch. But the Spurs with eight games in 12 days, that's pretty tough. And I, I'd personally bet on the Pelicans that take that final spot. Um, Kyle, do you also have faith in New Orleans to get the 10 seed? I mean, they've been pretty up and down. It's hard to say for sure yeah. that like consistency has been a battle for them. And it's a battle for young players. And it's a it's a team that has is built around, you know, their their key pieces are younger players. Of course, it, it's getting to the point, too, with Ingram, though, where it's just like you're not really, you know, that's not an excuse for you anymore. Zion obviously is working towards consistency defensively um, still. They're still working to optimize that roster around him, obviously. But in terms of like them, their scenario versus the Spurs scenario, uh, I think it behooves the, the Pelicans to go ahead and and try to make that move. You know, they don't want to. You know, they don't have any incentive to to sort of do any kind of experimental thing here towards the end of the season. I know, you know, teams do that. Sometimes you have to look at like the last ten to twenty games of the NBA season. Teams shift in a, into a totally different mode sometimes. So for the Pelicans. I think they can do it like they're they're so up and down, like on any given night, they could beat anybody. But that's you know, that's a lot of NBA teams, but they have a special talent in Zion um, who on any given night and especially in a tournament in a one game scenario. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just never know what he's going to do. Is he going to go for 38 on, you know, on like 65 percent shooting? I, you, you never know with the Pelicans, but they definitely could do it. I agree with you. Well, I mean, you mentioned Zion still finding defensive consistency and. I thought with last night's game, I came away thinking it was one of his better performances, and it wasn't because of the stuff that we usually see. He only had 23 points. Draymond Green did a really good job defending him, made everything tough. He had seven assists, but he also had six turnovers. But he was tenacious from the jump in the game. He was locked in from an effort standpoint, and that showed with the clutch plays down the stretch. Um, he grabbed the rebound away from Wiggins, just ripped it away from him. He deflected the ball away from Mulder, to which essentially clinched the game when they got the ball back. And, you know, he's going to have way more, you know, epic offensive performances. But last night, uh, it was effectively a playoff game for the Pelicans. They had to win that game. And he came out right out of the gate, played hard, and it felt like he was making more of those plays that we saw him make in college. Plays that are sometimes, you know, effort plays. Sometimes it goes beyond the box score. He made winning plays. 
And Kyle, I can't help but think this this could be a sign of what's to come for Zion when that all does click. Yeah, and he's he's effectively the the last two seasons have been sort of like one rookie, you know, volley for him. Like in ter- and and then when you can vo- combine the fact that like COVID, obviously, that you have to put that as an asterisk next to everything because it's like really disrupted the rhythm of development and like the flow of games and learning and things like that. And I I think that like for Zion he yeah w- whenever he gets into that situation and his his backs against the wall and he starts you know he's really motivated and he's sort of like smoke coming out his nostrils kind of thing like he's he's terrifying and it's like i don't know if it's an issue of what i call like the info lag thing where it's like his his mind is still catching up to the speed of the game so that his body can do the things that it does um i mean i've been a little disappointed by just the fact that he with defenders that are as athletic as he is, usually you hope to see just like this wild athleticism that you have to kind of rein in. And we just didn't see that. And I think that's been the most disappointing part of it for me with him. But yeah, I mean, as he starts to put that sort of positional real-time IQ together um, to the point where, you know, if, if he's just going to be this like outrageous downhill offensive force, you know, he needs to be more dynamic than that as a player. He needs to be impacting the game in more ways. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see him in these in this scenario where he's going to be measured up against, like, winning basketball. Like, th- these are games that matter. and But also he needs to get away from – you need you have to get away from the, your motivation being conditional like that, too. That's another thing. So, I don't know. Oh, like based on the uh, height of the game, you know. Yeah. The importance of the game. Yeah, like the the Bob Ori syndrome, you know. It's like I know Tim Duncan made fun of Robert Ori. It's just like, yeah, he only plays at the end of the year. <laughs> Ideally, you don't do that, but um, I don't know. Defensively, he's he's got a long way to go, but it's been promising. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one been one of the underlying disappointments of the entire season for New Orleans. I mean, you have Eric Bledsoe going from one of the better on ball defenders last season to one of the worst ones this season with New Orleans. That's a matter of effort and focus. Guys like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, I thought they were better defenders with the Lakers than they were with the Pelicans, especially Ingram. Lonzo is still, at times, their most active defender. But, you know, overall, like you look at this Pelicans team, sometimes it's guys like Najee Marshall coming off the bench that are the ones providing the spark. He's a hurricane of energy, yeah. Oh, man. He's a blast. Yeah. He's a blast. We have a, a, a Kenny Hustle uh, nickname for Kenrick Williams in Oklahoma City. Is there a nickname for Najee Marshall? Is he worthy of a nickname yet? Does he have a name that's appropriate for a nickname, Kyle? Do you have anything off the top of your head? Oh, man. <laughs> no. I, you Let me think about that. I'll put a pin in that. I'll come back. Najee, nickname written down. Najee. There we go. Yeah. I think with New Orleans, this this team, like I said, I like their odds of catching the Spurs here, and that's not necessarily a knock against the Spurs either. Also, last night we had LaMelo Ball, who's been back for three games now, facing off against my guy, <laughs> Killian Hayes and the Detroit Pistons. Kyle, you had some thoughts about LaMelo kind of following it up after our conversation with Bill yesterday. We talked a lot about creativity. Um, what's on your mind with LaMelo? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, watching LaMelo last night, he's sort of easing back into easing back into the flow of the game and things like that. I, there, there are a few just like broad things that I noticed um, in the basketball sense is that uh, for LaMelo, he had a couple plays that, that really stood out to me. I texted you one of them. Did you get to t- check out that clip? 
I did see that clip. Yes. He did one where he attacked with his right hand and uh, sort of like adjusted midair without switching hands. He did this like really interesting move with touch, like took took the contact. It was almost it wasn't like Jordan esque where he like totally reloaded midair, but he did this this really cool overhand uh, adjustment midair. And I was just thinking about. I don't know that he gets enough credit for his creativity midair. He kind of had like a, a reputation as somebody who avoided contact. Uh, but he's had some really, really impressive craft around the rim. But I got thinking about creativity in general. You know, we were talking about how Lamelo was in a position to experiment and, and to grow into this player who was really comfortable out there taking chances and things like that. And it reminded me of this clip of uh, John Cleese talking about creativity, about writing. And he was just saying, if you're not comfortable, one of the things that he said, he does this creative talk. He's done it a lot over the years. One of the things he said was, if you're not comfortable playing, just being playful and messing around, you're not going to be in a position to be creative. And it just got me thinking about, you know, we had a conversation on Bill's pod yesterday about what what cultivates that in players, what like grows their ability to have like a really wide vocabulary as a passer. And it seems like at lower levels, you know, the space to be playful and to play and to experiment is really important. And I think a, a thing that seems to differ LaMelo from other prospects is that he, you know, a lot of prospects come up in these situations where the immediate pressure of winning prevents them from getting maybe the opportunities that they need to grow in the way that they need to. And you see this in high school. You'll see, you know, a player goes to a really good program, the coach, because the coaches have vested interests. They want to keep their jobs. They want to win games. Mm -hmm. It's not this just wide open, wild scenario where they can just tinker and be like, I'm just happy that you developed. No, I mean, they want to win, you know? And, and so, <laughs> but I, I guess I was just thinking about that too. And it reminded me of, this comment that David Thorpe, um, who was on True Hoop, I mean, he's like a legendary longtime internet basketball and and and, a, and a, one of the first trainers of, of NBA players going back a long time. Uh, he made a comment on tying into this. So David Thorpe and John Cleese, two people that I never would have paired together in the past, but but I will here. <laughs> so David Thorpe on uh, on the Basketball Immersion podcast, which is a fantastic podcast that I would recommend if you want to learn more about the nitty gritty of basketball. Have you ever listened to that one, Kev? I have not. You should try it out. It's really good. So it, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of really in the weeds stuff, but it's great. I don't listen to a ton of pods. You don't. I, I, I got to carve out more time for pods. It's, I don't listen my, to it's pods. A, it's a me, it's a me problem. <laughs> Add it to the list of things Kevin doesn't do. I, I, <laughs> he rides the bike and plays Madden. We know that and, play, and plays Warzone. Yes, plays playing guitar. But yes, basketball immersion. <laughs> yes, basketball immersion. Stay with me, damn it! All right, so. <laughs> Just thinking so about Warzone over here. <laughs> David Thorpe, David Thorpe made this comment about one time. One time he was saying that uh, in his sessions where they're with players and and they're running like five on five, if a player experiments and tries something that they've never done before, like not in the fancy sense, but they're just trying something that stretches their problem solving skill set, their ball handling, whatever you know, their ball skills, they stop practice and applaud. That's what he mm. said. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And it's just a kind of an interesting developmental thing where with young players, um, you know, a lot of times you like discourage 
players from going towards the boundaries of um, maybe whatever their perceived role is. And I don't know culturally what it's like in the rest of the world, but in the American game, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that on the cre- in the creativity sense? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating because I think from a creative standpoint, like I can only speak to stuff that I do, you know, I'm not, you know, out on the basketball court throwing behind the back passes, or like you said, that LaMelo shot, that floatery hit, it wasn't even really a floatery pushed the ball up midair. Like it looked like he was going into a runner and then when he was heavily contested, he just midair pushed it up, just straight up into the air. Softly pushed it yeah, up. Like it was softly. a touch. Yeah, it was a beautiful shot on the fly. Like, And that requires a lot of creativity. Um, but like with writing, for example, sometimes ideas just pop into your head midday. Sometimes you need to carve out two or three hours at night where it's quiet and you're just chilling out. You're just vibing and you're just in your own thoughts, thinking about it. And trying to put, you know, fingers to keyboard or, you know, pencil to paper, like whatever works for you. And it's like that with music, too. Like if you like you're a musician as well, Kyle, it's a type of thing where you can sit down and really try to grind out something and uh, a lick you're trying to learn on guitar, a chord progression. Or if you're trying to write a song, exploring different chord progressions, trying different variations on chords, you know, adding a ninth, all this type of stuff, you know, changing it to a seventh, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And uh, that requires time. And I do wonder if maybe guys like Mello or even a Jokic, who we talked about a lot on Bill's pod about his creativity and his vision that he has. And I made the point that I think a lot of these guys, that some of them are just born with the ability to, to be this creative. Like they have this path to get there. But what we didn't really talk a lot about on the pod was the nurturing that it takes to get people to that step like Jokic and Lomelo, they don't get to the point where they are today playing at the highest levels of basketball without hours and hours and hours of practicing creativity. And, and that's what you're touching on here, right? And that they, they were afforded that at some point in their lives or throughout their entire lives. Yeah, I think that the rigid, like competitive, like we have to win at every level can work against you. I'm not saying that they didn't like Chino yeah. Hills won games. They were so talented that they just overwhelmed people, but they played a style that that enabled that. And I think, too, something interesting that that Bill said that ties into a, a point that uh, our mutual friend Ben Taylor said this the other day, pointed this out, that it's interesting in basketball right now that we have all these unicorns, but we have these special players that have kind of came that surprised us, you know, because I think and I think this ties into the way that we evaluate players, you know, on the horizon is that like. You know, Giannis kind of, not for everybody, but he surprised us. I think that early yeah. Porzingis surprised us. He's kind of, you know, there's a, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but, and then uh, just thinking about some of the guys, Luca didn't surprise us, but th- some of the more special players have been not necessarily guys that we totally saw coming, and Jokic is a big one. Um, and just an interesting example of creativity. I was, I was thinking about LaMelo, too. Just what do you think... He's obviously a special player right now. He's obviously really, he has been a little bit of a surprise for some people. Uh, but for him to level up to like really, when, when I'm watching him score, it seems like for him to go to that next level of like, I'm really feeling myself tonight. I'm going to, I want, I'm going to like burn you. I'm de- going to destroy you. What do you think the hurdle for him in his offensive game is? Like what, 
what bridge does he need to cross? Literally like talking about like literal ball skills, shooting, passing, whatever it is. Mainly, mainly talking about scoring here though. What do you, what do you think he needs to do? Where is that going to be? Where, where can he, Tyrese Halliburton has similar questions, but where, where can he really open up a new frontier for himself as a scorer to become like a mega star? And you're talking to a guy who's averaging 25 plus points. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think with him, it's two things. We're seeing the development of the jumper already. He has deep range, continuing to assure that this is for real and sustainable. That's a big thing. We're seeing the touch with in-between shots, with floaters and runners, maybe integrating even more pull-ups, you know, some more complex moves from mid-range. Not that he needs it a lot because he's getting to the rim and shooting a lot of threes. And then at the rim, he certainly has shown a lot of growth in one year. When we saw him play in Australia, the player that he was compared to what he is now, he is doing a better job of handling contact than I think we saw in Australia. He is showing even more uh, ability on top of the creativity. He has always shown the, the will to and the desire to be crafty around the rim. Like that, I think that example you, you talked about earlier, that kind of push floater mid-air adjusting because he was contested and there was a little bit of contact shows the type of style of fat rim finisher he's going to continue to turn himself into. But the more he can draw fouls and get to the free throw line, the more that helps guys be, go from becoming the, you know, the 17, 18, 19 point per game score to the 25 plus potentially if you have enough volume on the offensive end. So to me, it's, you know, continuing to do the things that are only going to take time, strength, you know, getting stronger over the course of time, getting more physical, but also just, you know, further expanding some of the skills um, at the rim and from mid-range. I think from three, I feel a pretty high level of confidence with the adjustments that he's already made. How, how about you, Kyle? Like, what, what, what is it going to take for LaMelo to burst through and get to that point? I think for the for the top level scores, I mean, free throw production is one of the things you got to yeah. start off saying. It's where where is he going to be able to generate, you know, foul line production in that sense? I mean, becoming a more physical, cra craftier around the rim, things like that, getting guys into the air, just improving. He doesn't really play like that. He's got I always call this like a tuxedo. He's got a tuxedo offensive game where he doesn't really touch people. He just kind of floats between, you know, he doesn't really create a lot of contact. That that prevented him from being efficient in the past, but <laughs> don't, don't want to get the suit dirty, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of people that have hung with me for a while now know that that's one of my like terms is tuxedo score. Jamal Murray used to be one in the playoffs last year. He graduated cuz Murray's actually bigger than he used to be, but uh with LaMelo I think that he's shown the ability to do the catch-and-shoot thing. He's shown the ability to do the reload thing. I was watching him shoot threes last night. He was keeping his feet down. He was, he was balanced. I was really encouraged by that. But what I was really noticing, though, is to, you, you do need to have some wrinkle of unassisted, I'm going to get you in your game if you're, if you're I'm going to get you sucker in, in your game if you're going to be an offensive star. And I was looking at, like, pull-up jumper is one of the big ones for, for yep. guys who, who are ball dominant. Can I, can I kill you with that? This season, he's attempted 37 jumpers on minimum three dribbles, and he's 33.8% on those right now. So, I don't know. I, I just was noticing whenever he gets into that, he's gotten a lot better about, like, not getting out over his skis as an offensive player, like just being balanced and comfortable and staying within himself. Uh, but whenever he pushes it to, like, I want to go get a bucket, that's when he would get really wild in the past. Um I'm just curious if he's going to be able to expand in that way and like, you know, stay, stay balanced and, and get in kind of a dribble pull up game. 
Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. The foul, And then the foul drawing, too. I think those are the two most likely ways that he's going to do it because I don't see him being like a, a big-time heavy downhill pressure guy. I don't see him being a post guy, you know, things like that. That's That's kind of what I expect. We're talking about scoring here, um, and you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton earlier. Anthony Edwards, are you and I on the same page with the Mellow as Rookie of the Year here? Or is there any chance for Edwards to catch him? Uh, well, it's kind of, well, the three-horse race, yeah, is like Halley. There are different player types, too, which is kind of difficult, and it kind of got me thinking about volume versus rolling efficiency. Like, I know a lot of people really want to give Edwards a bump just because of like the width of what he does as a scorer, you know, and, and he shows the signs of being that like top level score creator type. Um, I don't know. I still think that it's LaMelo. I mean, LaMelo just missed how many games did he miss? 21, something like that. But I, I still think that it's LaMelo. And I, I, I think that, you know, Wolves fans have hated me for saying this, but you know, the efficiency does play into it. And I, th- I think another thing too, that'll get into like the all rookie teams discussion that we're going to talk about here, here shortly, you, you kind of have to really consider when you're comparing rookies is like, what kind of context did they come into? Um, you know, like Wiseman really took a tough, tough lump this year because he came into a situation that didn't really enable him to grow in the like we were talking about to grow in the specific ways that he needs to he had more of a refined role whereas with the wolves uh they were like hey let it fly anthony edwards like go go let it fly and they they were fine with him being if what if what kind of year do you think wiseman would have had if he had been on the wolves a, probably a pretty frustrating one still I, I think a lot of what worked with minnesota this season with nas reed and carl anthony towns sharing the floor together was that nas reed can also space and uh, I know James Wiseman can too, but I still like, I wanted to see James Wiseman more frequently in a rim running role. Um, and I'm not sure Minnesota would have been able to give that opportunity with guys out over the course of the season. Ricky Rubio is not a down guy who can have downhill pick and roll screeners necessarily. Cause he doesn't draw the defense out. I thought the opportunity was there with Stephen Curry. It just didn't happen that often. Uh, until towards the end when he got hurt. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it could have worked. It would have been very interesting. And with Carl Anthony Towns, you can put him anywhere on the floor. But with you know, a mid-year head coaching change, I think it would have also been a frustrating season. Why do you feel differently about the fit there had they taken Wiseman? I think that you're right. He probably would have been continued to be inefficient because he's not a, an, a particularly dynamic post score. And that's where a lot of his bread was buttered in the past, quote unquote, buttered. That's just what he did. I think you're right. Keeping him. You would think that this would have been a good opportunity, um, but it it had sort of, um, I guess, for what the Wolves were wanting or for what the Warriors were wanting versus what Wiseman needed. Uh, it didn't totally sync up. You know, he wasn't really in a position to be efficient. I'm just thinking, like, you have me thinking about Wiseman and Edwards right now. On the note of creativity, like you mentioned earlier, <laughs> with, with certain guys, and let's bring Killian Hayes into this too. Like, Killian Hayes has shown the ability to be a creative passer. Um, Anthony Edwards at times has sometimes been maybe a little bit too eager to be a shooter. Sometimes, do you feel? Do you think that there are certain guys, like at a youth level? I mean, this is very difficult, but like for LaMelo, he had the runway to be creative. Um, for some players, do you think it would be better to not have that runway and that, and that freedom to do whatever ever, ever, so they can learn discipline and fundamentals and things like that earlier on? I mean, it's, it's difficult to coach. It's different to, difficult to lead. 
Um, but I wonder, like, at a youth level, it's almost difficult to have that attention to detail with coaching because you want to give guys freedom to, but that can develop bad habits too. You know, and I think we see that where some players enter the NBA, they have to change their habits and change what they do. Um, I'm just curious about your thoughts on that because just bringing up the Wolves and seeing how Anthony Edwards has gotten better this season, um, maybe with that structure. I wonder if how he would be, how he would look today if he had that structure earlier in his life. Yeah, they're they're just like a million variables that you have to yeah. point out too. There's just that, like you know, Lamelo grew up in a in a family that was like. I've, he had older brothers that had kind of set up this this environment for him where he was playing a dad who had mm-hmm. attempted had played in college. There was a basketball family playing basketball twenty four. They all the time he was just immersed yep. in it. Edwards grew up with different tools. Number one, you know, he's physically just off the charts, as we've said ad nauseum. So he had advantages, which I always think is important too. He had physical advantages that. You know, Lamelo's not small. He's not unathletic. He's very light on his feet. He's quick. And I, I think that we talk about athleticism too in this like really boxed in way that it's just explosiveness. It's just power, things like that. But I, I think that Ant Man coming to the game late, I think that he he got into the game and discovered I'm this like overwhelming athlete. I'm this oh, I can get my shot. He enjoyed it. Obviously, he he's talked about who his heroes were, like Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade used to cook people with his athleticism, get downhill score, things like that. They are different, I guess, in the fact that just the way that LaMelo was guided, it made sense for him to develop in that way. For for Edwards, it's been sort of flipped the other direction, like you were saying. And and I think maybe that we're overstating how much freedom he had. He had a lot of freedom. But, I mean, I, with, with Carl getting back into the lineup, with Russell getting back into the lineup, that is more structure around him that is going to help him to expand and not be so ball dominant not be Definitely. so not be so reliant on on just getting his all the time um and th- and those things are going to help him grow so he, he's had sort of a flipped path and some guys have this you know some guys some guys grow up like with those advantages and then they learn it later like we've seen it with Levine we've seen it with like Donovan Mitchell was a crazy athlete coming up and has kind of learned those things um, and we've seen it with DeMar DeRozan. So it, there are a lot of ways to get there. Um, I kind of said this on Sam Bassini's pod that I did recently. But if you're interested in doing it, you can do it. I just think it's a lot harder to, to re- reverse it, in my opinion. Well, Anthony Edwards is going to have this entire offseason to, to work on his game. Did you see his quote the other day when he was asked about what he's going to work on? What would he say? He said, I ain't telling nobody. I want to come back like Houdini. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's already one of the best quotes in the league, man. Houdini, does he even... How does that apply to Houdini? <laughs> Houdini was an escape artist, right? <laughs> yeah. People, was he saying, people are going to try to box me in as an efficient creator and score, and I'm going to escape? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I will not be contained. <laughs> Anyway, his uh comes back with a sixty percent true shooting percentage next season. What a bunch of geeks! We are. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna take a quick sixty. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's three p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. 
That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, so Kyle, next Monday on The Ringer, I'm going to be posting my awards ballot. This week, I wrote about Nikola Jokic as MVP. So this week, I'm doing some you know, early prep you know, before I, I really dive in over the weekend about all rookie teams, all NBA teams. But since this is Ringer NBA University, let's focus on the younger players. Um, we talked about LaMelo. We talked a little bit about Anthony Edwards, too. Those guys are obviously going to be on all rookie teams. They're probably going to lead most ballots and Tyrese Halliburton, too, for rookie of the year. Um, but I'm curious, how are you looking at some of these all rookie teams? There's 10 spots. Um, is there anybody who stands out for you that is definitely on a first team all rookie or should be another any under the radar guys that people aren't really focused on right now um i have some guys that are maybe fringe haven't been talked about a ton one in particular but i, I kind of went with it's it, i mean it's very guard heavy honestly it's very guard and wing heavy um i went with obviously halbert and lamello edwards uh i actually have desmond desmond bain just on efficiency as your fifth for first team and and well and quickly is the other one. Uh, that was that was that was my other one. Both of those guys are contributing to you know to teams. Well, I it's really difficult. It's like you have to kind of weigh, like we were talking about the absence of structure versus like contributing to winning. Do you want like in a in a lesser role? Like I I kind of was trying to weigh that into. So that would be my first. So so Hallie Lamelo Edwards quickly and then Bain. Bain is actually. Uh, 22 minutes per game, 44.8% from three. He's actually been one of the better spot-up players in the league. We expected all this stuff. This is the Bain Hive Unite Rise Up. We saw this coming. Yeah, baby. He's a great relocating <laughs> shooter. He can body rolling players. He's he's great. Um, 80, Yeah, 83. Per, but he's only, you know, 9.2 points per game. Anyway, so, but quickly, you know, has had a, had a, a role on a, on a team that's going to be a playoff team that's that's competent and has kind of overshot kind of what we expected. And I think we've talked about those other three guys ad nauseum. Uh, second team, might be some surprises. I went ahead and just had Wiseman on here 
I think that wow, e- even really? even as inefficient as he's been, you know, he did he did some things. Uh, we'll just leave that at that. Uh, Sadiq Bay, who I think that you could argue could be first team. I think I wouldn't be surprised if some people might. Uh, he's been a really, you know, shot it really well, been a versatile player. Uh, Pat Williams. Uh, Jay Sean Tate is one of those two. Thank that, you. I, I was waiting for you to mention Jay Sean Tate. Thank well, you. That, that's, well, that's, that's, that's thank you. Asterisk, though. Uh-oh. He's he's one of those guys who is in like the app. Would he have produced in another situation? Now he's you get put in situations and you, you capitalize on them. That's kind of the way life works. You know, it's kind of the omission commission thing. What do you have a take on? Do you have a Jay Sean take? Well, <laughs> could he have been You're welcome. better in a winning context with the way he in which he plays? He is a hard nosed, versatile defender. He is a plug-and-play guy on the offensive end of the floor. I wish he shot the ball better, but I like the way they can use him as a screener. Imagine him in the Bruce Brown Nets role, you know, something like that with him. I'm just intrigued by Tate in a different context, but the fact is he didn't, you know, he was in Houston. They lost a lot of games, and he produced in that context. He had opportunity, 30 minutes per game. He's played basically every single game this season for them. I love, I think Jason Tate is a borderline first-team all rookie. I mean, he's going to be in consideration for that um, with with my ballot. Uh, likely to be like hundred percent second team, but possibly first team. We'll see. Um, yeah, you 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 love the uh, the Bruce Brown Nets role. That's one of your, I, when you. I'm obsessed with. It. There there's there's guys in the league that should be utilizing that that aren't. Are you just mainly talking about guys who are in that like beefier wing can play up and and like yeah. hit threes, but also uh, give you. Yeah. Not a new concept, by the way. Put, put, I mean, put him, put him on the baseline in the dunker spot. Use him as a screener. Not every team can do it. Not every team has the personnel, but I do think that there's a role there for some players in certain situations that has been unexplored. If you have big players who are giving you crazy creation, like like a Harden, not that these guys have played together this season, like I mean, just like like a Durant too. I guess you can invert it and put a player like there. We don't have to get it. That's a whole other yeah. conversation. Uh, the the last one was um, <laughs> Isaac Okoro, I think, deserves some more credit than he's gotten lately. Uh, Isaac Okoro, I pulled up some uh, some defensive stats. Okoro had defended the eighth most drives in the NBA this season, and he was 74th percentile in points per chance allowed for a rookie. No other rookie was in the top 25. Pat Williams was in the top 30. Um, and that's an impressive stat for a rookie. Mm. Uh, he's, he also has had really great defensive versatility on uh, B-Ball index, had him defending basically all five positions, you know, the five, not as much, but he's guarding at the point of attack a lot. That is very difficult in the NBA to do, uh, the shooting and stuff, wildly erratic, the creation wildly erratic. It needs to come around. Like we've said before the draft that has held true. He's a guy that, um, I'd feel really good about, you know, he had a big game the other night. I think he had something like 30 something points the other night. The shooting is going to be the swing skill for him because if he can defend at the level that I think he's capable of and hit threes, that's a, that's a good NBA player right there. You and I are largely on the same page. I mean, Okoro, I I have him penciled in into what I would choose here. Um, A couple of names you didn't mention that I just want to bring up real quickly. Jaden McDaniels. Minnesota and only 24 minutes per game that might hurt him in the discussion but he's been excellent individually on the defensive end of the floor shooting the ball well at 30 percent 37 percent from three on the year he's somebody that I have like on the bubble for a spot um Teo Maladon 
yeah. from OKC. An- another guy just been steady. He's had some big games for OKC. We talked about getting opportunity. You know, with creativity, he's getting minutes on the floor to actually try to develop. And I, I like the progress he's made. Campazzo from Denver, yeah. unorthodox rookie. Yeah. But he's played some important minutes for that team with guys being in and out of the lineup. You know, we've seen Monte Morris miss time, Jamal Murray missing time. Uh, Campazzo has been pretty effective for them. Um, and then I think Isaiah Stewart from yeah, the Detroit Pistons. Um, he's been just bringing constant energy. He hit a three the other night. I think there's some untapped perimeter skill. He hit a three him. the other night. That's one of your bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just like I wanted to say that there's, he's not just an energy guy around the rim. Right. He's not just a bulldozer inside. He's ripping down rebounds, finishing off dump off passes. He's not just, you know, a rim protector. I think there's more skill to his game that he's been able to show in 21, 22 minutes per game this season. Like there's something else there that we might see in the future, um, but we didn't get to see a lot of this year. Um, but those are some of the other guys that that come to mind for me that are going to be in consideration. It's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting rookie class. Pretty good. Um, honestly, pretty, pretty yeah, good. yeah, I like a lot of these guys. They have distinguished styles. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of these guys you can see being in the NBA for a long way, you know, a long, long way to go. You know, 10 plus years for some of them. A lot of them. There weren't any like big swing, big miss types, you know, but there are guys that are just going to be there. Like Composo is interesting to me just because you, you get into when you're looking at rookies specifically of like the raw number fallacy, specifically for players just coming into the league. You run through there like you were saying, you're like, you know, numbers not blowing my hair back. I'm bald. I don't have any hair. But if like if you're just looking at what Composo has done in, in a role on a, on a good team, on a playoff team. Uh, he's contributed, you know. One name we did not mention, who will not be on our all-rookie team, Killian Hayes, my guy. <laughs> M- missed a lot of time this season and also as a scorer has just been dreadfully inefficient. Um, he can pass the hell out of the ball already. I think he's one of the better guard defenders as a rookie uh, in the entire NBA. He's a pretty rock-solid defender, period, uh, regardless of age and experience. Um I still like him long term. I still like what Killian Hayes could be made a video about him last week for the void. But I am curious, Kyle, about your thoughts. Like scouting doesn't stop at draft time. Scouting continues throughout a player's career. You watch summer league to get intel. You watch preseason, regular season. It all matters with Killian Hayes and how poorly he shot the ball and scored the ball overall this season. Where are you at with him as a scorer? Like what are the things he needs to get better at? And do you have any hope? for him as a scorer and as one of the lead on-ball presences for the Pistons in the long term? I have hope. I haven't moved as much because I wasn't as high as you and Sharks were. Um, I I don't know. The efficiency of it is the question for me. You know, he he had the, he resembled. That's the, that's the pitfall that you can fall into with these guys is they resemble this archetype that is working in the NBA. And then we try to force them into it where it's like, you know, maybe they would be better in this like limited role being more efficient in this limited role? Are they being stretched mm-hmm. by what they're being asked to do? Um, Killian, I think it's just so incomplete. You know, I was I was going to tease you. Bill was teasing you yesterday, which I thought was pretty funny. But I was going to tease <laughs> you about just what do you have to say for yourself, KLC? But I was going to ask you a question. Um, if I, you know, said, hey, KLC, your life depends on this decision. 
in the next five years, Sadiq Bay or Killian Hayes, who is the more consistent, valuable, viable NBA player? Over the next five years? Yeah. If you had to I mean, bet. In all likelihood, Sadiq Bay. If it's next 10 years, that then that gets a little bit more difficult for me. But what we're seeing from Sadiq well, Bay this there, season. Well, why 10 years? What, what would happen in well, years six it, through it, 10? It, it might take until four, year four when yeah. Killian Hayes is 23 years old for things to go, you know, ah, it's connecting. It works now. I'm not shooting 33% from the field. I, I am now, you know, my body is strong enough to consistently hit these three pointers where I look good actually creating space. Now I can actually finish the play. I can actually finish around contact at the rim and use my creativity and the craftiness that he displays potential to have. Um, it might take until then. So first five years, see, Sadiq Bey already looks like a knockdown shooter, right? a rock-solid defender, a good decision maker. Bottom line is Sadiq Bey already in many ways looks like a vet. And so in that sense, yeah. if it's just next five years, I'd, I'd take Sadiq Bey. His line is going to be kind of straight, whereas, like, you know, I agree with you. Killian could go higher. I guess the question is, are there, are, are there like, benchmarks for that to happen? Who, who do you think is a benchmark of somebody that, could, that he could follow, Killian? Well, I mean, and that's what I've been thinking about lately. So with, with Killian Hayes, he clearly has playmaking talent. Mm -hmm. You know, he can pass the ball. You know, saw that full court pass he made. It's just the accuracy of his lobs and kickouts. He is a freaking good passer. The question is going to be, <laughs> it's like the Lonzo ball. You know? I was going to say anyway, Lonzo. It's, is it's he Lon Lonzo? It's Lonzo-esque in the sense that Lonzo is also a brilliant playmaker, but he's not a brilliant shot creator. And he is not a brilliant scorer. So the opportunities for him to create in the half court, to run pick and roll, to run in isolation and break down the defense and create for somebody else are limited. His playmaking is more uh, slanted towards open court off of a defensive rebound when he, you know, balls outletted to him. He's creating and he's it's beautiful to watch. With Killian Hayes, will it reach a point if his scoring doesn't develop that those opportunities in the half court are taken away? And he's asked then to just be a spot-up shooter, a cutter, you know, maybe doing some of the dirty work. He can still have a career. Like he, I still think he can have a successful career being a great defender and a great open-court playmaker. But will those opportunities go away at some point? That that's that's where I, you know, my my belief in him has fallen off a little bit. Cause sometimes those guys don't get those opportunities. Those run out if they don't get better quickly. Yeah, that would have been a much better title for the video. My belief has fallen off somewhat. Kevin O'Connor. I would say, <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> so inspiring. That'll get clicks. The algorithm yeah, really, yeah, really yeah, loves definitely. that, no, no. that kind of self-doubt. I would say the shooting is just so, <laughs> the shooting yeah. is just so important. You know, we've talked about yeah. this with Randall. It's just like some guys have that. And with Lonzo, it's like you were talking about the breaking people down and the, and the playmaking, you know, that, Breaking down, like playmaking responds to at a star level. Play if you want to have the ball in your hands a lot and and ascend to that level where you're like generating a lot of offense. The shooting and the scoring just has to be there. Otherwise, you become Ricky Rubio, who's a great passer. Mm. You know, if Ricky Rubio could shoot forty plus percent from three off the dribble, what kind of player would he would he have been? You know, you just become you become a different type of thing if you can't really shoot the ball consistently, like Lonzo. You know, at, at the college level, Lonzo elevated a whole offense. UCLA was one of the best offenses in the country that year, if not the best. But without the shooting at the next level, it just it filters you in a way uh, that's tough.
real quick to wrap up the old rookie talk right here. Give me your first team again. Quick five guys. I just went, I didn't do positions. So I said, okay. I said, there are half, no positions on our rookie for what it's worth. There are no positions in basketball yeah. anymore, Kevin. Yeah. Hall- is, thank you. <laughs> Halliburton, LaMelo, Edwards, quickly, Bane, actually. Is what mm-hmm. I went with, and second so. team? Second team, Bay, Wiseman, Pat Williams, Okoro, Jason, Jason Tate. Mm, I'm glad you have Tate on there. Wiseman, I disagree with. I'm not going to act like I like paced around my yard for a month and thought about this, yeah. guys. So, I, my, it, you know, things are fluid. Things are evolving. You mentioned Emmanuel quickly earlier, Kyle. There's a game I'm really looking forward to tonight. It's the Denver Nuggets versus the New York Knicks. Both these teams, Knicks are red hot right now. They're legit good. Their offense has gotten better. It's on fire lately on top of their defense being what it is. And the Denver Nuggets, we talked about the Jokic side of things a ton with Bill on his pod up on Wednesday. Um, but we didn't talk a whole lot about Michael Porter Jr. I get a video coming out on him Thursday on the Ringers YouTube channel. You should go subscribe so you can get that in your feed. See my videos every Thursday. And Kyle, you get stuff always coming up. You've been doing your rookie reports. Michael Porter Jr., though. This guy's just been kick-ass, dude. Averaging 25 points the last couple of weeks, making it look super easy. Is this is this a leap we're witnessing right here, Kyle, with Michael Porter Jr.? It's a leap of opportunity for sure. I mean, it's it's sad that it happened. I do think that like Murray going down, like we talked about with Bill, like it it definitely affects Denver's ceiling. I definitely his loss of his shot creation hurts them. But in terms of like Porter, I mean, he's been sensational in the last eleven games without without him. I mean, his scoring went from eighteen point nine to twenty five. His true shooting percentage went from sixty five point nine to seventy point five. He's shooting better from three. Uh, he's, he's had more opportunity. I'm sure that you go into this in your video. I haven't, I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but do you, I mean, how much of the like on ball creation stuff have you witnessed and where do you think it is? We did talk a little bit about that in the video. Um, you know, the, ever since Murray went out, his, you know, off ball screen opportunities have nearly doubled. Uh, that's been the biggest leap. Um, he's still, ha- he's getting more pick and rolls. He's getting more isolations. It's still not a ton compared to some of the high volume guys, but you know, Michael Porter Jr. said fairly recently how his focus this offseason, he's not going to be Houdini like Anthony Edwards. He's actually specifically said he's going to work on his ball handling. Yeah. Uh, and that is definitely an area where I think we have seen progress. He used to be a lot more stiff. I don't think he got as low. Maybe it was due to his back issues that he had or has. I don't know if it's present or past tense there. Hopefully past tense um, at younger levels. But he looks better off the dribble, but he still definitely has a long way to go to be more than just a guy who is an elite shooter. I mean, he is an elite shooter. That's a good thing to only be. Um, but he has been better getting to the basket, but getting to another level where you're drawing five or six or seven fouls and or attempting five or six or seven free throws per game. That is going to be what would make him a annual 25 point per game plus yeah scores having that to lean on it's like we talked about with Lamelo earlier um so i was encouraged uh that he says that is going to be a priority for him do you see him as a guy that could you know break through and be that level of score um or do you look at this more as a this is an opportunity hot streak here because of the number, the amount of shots he's able to get per game playing off Jokic largely yeah oh i don't want to imply that it's a fluke because it absolutely is not a fluke i think you're right about the ball handling and the i mean this guy is the nuggets snagged 
an all-NBA talent late in the lottery. They just flat out did, and that was what was so remarkable about the 2018 draft. Is And we didn't, you know, his health has sort of like waned to the background in the conversation a little bit. Like, we, we don't talk about it as much. There for a while, it was just like, this guy's broken. Like, he's just not going to be able to get it. was just like thing after thing after thing. Like, drop foot was, I think, one of the things. That drop was coming foot, up. yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, uh, yeah, the people talking about that a whole lot. But uh, it's been a nice buffer for his development, for him to come along slowly where he wasn't overwhelmed in the same way that, like, you, were, you compared him to, like, Anthony Edwards and things like that. Like, if he had been in a situation where he had been overly liberated, it might have been... Might have turned out, it might have been worse for him, honestly, because Jokic alleviates some of his weakness in the middle game. Now, he has like shown, I was watching him like get low. You're absolutely right. He used to run like a centaur. That's that's yeah. what I would always think of. I would call it, yeah, Michael Centaur Jr. Uh, and he would, that's a really terrible pun. You guys can shun me for that. But he, <laughs> when, he wasn't really comfortable creating off the dribble he because he was so upright and and his dribble would be upright he'd be very vulnerable with Jokic what's interesting is that like Porter's so insanely good at hunting his own shot he has such a high release point and he gets it and he makes it look really easy like you like you said but think good thing about Jokic is that they can play in sort of a triangle where you know he can he doesn't have a shot throws it to Jokic immediately goes off ball and cuts uh, and, and he's an underrated cutter, good finisher. Um, and I think that that has really been a nice... Um, I, I noticed, too, that there's been a surge in his ball screen usage lately, too. So, I mean, that's a thing that you yeah. know I'm sure they're trying to kind of trickle in as as they get towards the playoffs. The real thing, circling back to it, the, the grill in the middle of the room is this: the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers are going to have the length to go out there and put on the floor to put somebody, you know, put somebody at the rim to bother him. I know Marcus Saul is getting healthy again. I mean, do you think that like do you what do you think that MPJ is going to have to do in the playoffs to like elevate their ceiling? And is he is he capable of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's he's going to have to do what Jamal Murray did last year and have have some just ludicrous defensive uh, ludicrous scoring performances. Uh we've seen him make progress everywhere throughout his game. He's getting better on the defensive end. He's getting better as a shot creator. He's getting better as a ball handler. But now it will have to be the time where you mentioned his uptick in pick and roll usage. Uh, he's getting 2.9 pick and rolls per game since April 14th when Murray went down compared to 1.2 beforehand. 2.6 isolations per game compared to 1.2 beforehand. Still not a lot. That's not a lot of ball screens. It's not a lot of isolations compared to higher volume guys. That number is going to have to tick up that number will have to double even more. I mean, you're going to have to see him running six or seven pick and rolls per game, five or six isolations. And for him to perform at the same elite efficiency that he is on the lower volume. And if that happens, then I think Denver can make a longer run than people expect. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what the matchup will look like in the early round. Maybe they get an advantageous uh, team to face. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do face the Lakers. And that team is built to give them trouble with mm -hmm. the personnel that they have. But overall, with Michael Porter, um, I, I'm I'm very very encouraged, and I'm very bullish on him. He has his potential has risen in my eyes for what he, I believe he can be, and a lot of that is probably due to situation, opportunity, environment, um, culture that Denver has, which is partially due to Jokic mm -hmm. and what who, what Jokic brings as a player. 
Um, like for Porter to, to quickly go from a really dismal defender at times last season and in his past in college and high school to being still making some mistakes here and there, but becoming a overall solid competitive defender. He doesn't need to be their lockdown guy. That's Aaron Gordon. If Porter is at least solid and has some great moments, which he has, that's all you can ask for. And uh, the, the, it seems to me like I thought Austin Rivers, he had a great quote when uh, maybe last week where he was asked about how his perception of Michael Porter before you got here compared to what he is now. And he said, you know, you hear all these things, you know, some guys have bad moments and then you come here. He's like one of the best guys in the locker room. He's one of my favorite people to be around. He works hard. He's a good guy, you know, good, obviously the unselfish, he, you know, he wants to make the right play. He's curious and wants to get better. And I, you know, hearing that, like it, it wasn't just like some media happy answer. It was a genuine response. Like you could feel it. And, um, that that really checks out with what I've heard, you know, going back to when I reported the Nugget story a couple of years ago, the year that he missed, people liked him and they liked the progress that he was making as a person. And so this is now, I think, two or three years since uh, he was drafted, missed his whole rookie year. Um, he seems to have grown up even more. So I'm very confident in what Michael Porter Jr. can be. It's really just a matter of some of the skill development with him. But I, I'm loving it, man. I'm I'm loving watching him. And I think he gives him a real shot. Definitely. Two, two, two quick thoughts. How many cases are there in the NBA of uh, two 6'11 or taller guys running a pick and roll together? I can't think of many off the top of my head. Can no, you think of another and, one? No, I mean, I mean <laughs> and not in that way. Like we saw the other night that Lakers uh, versus Nuggets game that the Lakers ran some AD pick and roll as the ball handler with Andre Drummond as the screener. <laughs> that that does not apply in the same way that a Michael Porter Jr. Nikola Jokic pick and roll would. <laughs> not quite. The shooting no, and the quite. shot creation ability yeah. there, it's pretty wild. The other thing I think that you hit on that we forget is that the health thing has really eaten into his development. And it might have caused us to lean pessimistic more than was necessary. Because if yeah. you think about playing basketball as an adult, in an, in an in adult like more sophisticated schematic environments of like higher level college, higher, higher level NBA. He has not had that much time. I mean, like he was hurt, you know, that the back stuff really lingered for him for a lot. Like I remember when I was going back and like scouting him for the 2018 draft, there wasn't much tape available. I had to really go deep into the, like the FIBA stuff and the high school stuff and assume a lot. So I think that that is working to his advantage in terms of like, if you want to be positive, you know, that, that he's growing and I, it's still, it's just insane that the nuggets got him where they did and, and that his upside is what it is. I mean, his upside is one of the best scores in the NBA. And I, th I think that that's not an exaggeration by any stretch. I make this point in the video, but when I, when I think about what MPJ could provide to the nuggets, I'm thinking about in the context of the fact that this is an MVP. Jokic, in all likelihood, will be the MVP who has a super high upside 22-year-old teammate. The way that you would feel if you heard that the Clippers were getting Michael Porter Jr. or the way you would feel if the Warriors were going to get Michael Porter Jr. or the Bucks, that's the level of player Jokic is this season. He is performing like a Steph, like a Giannis, like a Kawhi. That's what he's been during the regular season. If he if Michael Porter Jr. becomes a 28-point-per-game guy, which no guarantees, but there's a chance and only 22 years old. And I think that's a really smart point, Kyle, that he has he's missed developmental time or because he's been rehabbing or he's just been recovering. 
Yeah. He's getting all that time now to develop. If he becomes that guy, Denver's set up to be maybe the favorites. Yeah. Jokic is 25, like we said yesterday. He is 25 years old. And then you get Jamal Murray back. I mean, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, it's possible we're underrating what the Nuggets can be. Today, we might be underrating them. We could be underrating what they can be in the years to come, which, by the way, they have their first round draft pick this year. They have flexibility for trade, more trades, free agency. I'm really excited with what the Denver Nuggets can be. I I look forward to watching that game tonight. Kyle, what do you have going on the rest of your day? Uh, I'm working on a video. I won't say what it is, but uh, secret. I've already said it's not. I've said it on other pods. uh, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so anyway, yeah. But another I wanted to tag on there too. another game that I'm excited about is Hawks Suns. That's going to be a fun one. A lot of young players in that one. If you want to flip back and forth between those, if you don't, if you're not blacked out like you typically are with these games. So enjoy (laughs) those uh nba ringer you crowd a lot of a lot of good young mm-hmm. talent out there to watch tonight I'll, uh, i got a disappointment coming right up about to it, leave after we get off this pod and then i'm gonna get some work done and then dentist dentist yes okay gotta go to yeah. the dentist i got my six month I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> and then later on watch some basketball play some Warzone. i'm looking forward to doing that kyle yes absolutely Oh, I'm hooping later. That's another thing. I'm going to play basketball later. Everyone's vaccinated. I know everybody's tired of hearing that, but I'm going to play. Very excited. My Puma Clyde pros are supposed to come today. I'm going to break those in. It's going to be a great day if I can get my rusty body out there to play. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for producing today's episode of Ringer NBA University. And thank you for listening to the show. Please do us a favor and give us a five-star rating and a review if you're listening on iTunes. And be sure to follow the Ringer NBA show if you're listening on Spotify. Thank you again. We'll be back in two weeks. Have a fun rest of your day. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.